Morning, everyone. It's Jenny and Lorraine back with another Hi. Sensory Matters show. Hi, Lorraine. Hello. How you doing? Good, thanks. Good. How's your week been? Um, absolutely amazing. Yeah, so Jamie's yeah. much better, isn't she? Yeah, we've pretty much got everything sorted, so that just means that I can relax and just get on with things and she can relax and get back on with school, so it's just great. I know, such a simple thing as well, but <laughs> at least it's fixed. That's awesome. All good. Um, so this week I was chatting to Anna Kennedy, who I'm sure you all know. Um, she's a woman of, of many talents and many kind of um, projects that she works on. She's obviously got her um, schools that she did um, inspired by her own children. And she's also got Anna Kennedy online charity. And she does an awful lot for autism awareness in terms of really looking at the positive side of things like Autism's Got Talent and the Autism Hero Awards and all sorts of stuff. So I very much enjoyed chatting to her, even just listening to her life. I felt exhausted. Um, yeah, she's just... How does she fit it all in? I've got no idea. I know she's so busy, um, but just amazing person to talk to. So I hope you find her story really interesting. But before we get into that, anything to tell them for this week, Lorraine? Uh, yeah, we'd like to welcome Katie from Invisible Eye and one of our ambassadors aboard as a, a team member now. She's actually going to be employed by Chewy Gem and we're very, very excited about that. Totally. So you'll see Katie a lot on the pages and the groups. She'll be helping out with that. She's going to be, I think her title is Social Media Engagement Executive. Yeah, it's a fancy yeah. title. But it's yeah. all very exciting, yeah. So we've got Katie joining the team. So that will take some pressure off and um, help us get back to people quicker. We've got... Um, a community success story this week is coming from Jaden, which is amazing because Jaden does a lot of voluntary work for CAMS. So that's one that you won't want to miss. Okay. Uh, we've got Rory live in the VIC group on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And uh, B's Makaton has changed slightly in that we're going to do a sign of the week. And she's also going to do her live on a Wednesday. But on a Friday, we're going to post a video. So okay. there's going to be like sim simple greetings, just lots of different things that you can rewatch the video if you want to learn the Makaton. Great. That sounds ideal. Brilliant. Okay, so we will um, skedaddle and let you listen to the chat with Anna Kennedy. Hope you enjoy it. Bye. We love Annette and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. Someone we should speak to Send them our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory matters You know what? Okay, hello, it's Jenny again, um, back with another Sensory Matters show and I am thrilled today to have Anna Kennedy with us. Say hi, Anna. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Now, I believe it was your birthday yesterday. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> And was it? Yeah, yeah, was it a good day? Yeah, it was okay. We um, went with the, some of the girls from the office. We went to um, lunch, which was great. We went to Pizza Hut, um, and yeah, it was just like a chilled out day. And then I had birthday cake as well in the evening with my family. So just a, another chilled out day. Lovely, great. And you've just had your expo as well, haven't you? Yeah, it went really, really well. Um, we do an expo every year. So in March, we have an expo at Brunel University where we have speakers, we have free clinics, so we have uh, legal advice, um, OT, um, just lots of different clinics where families can go in, book a slot for half an hour and um, ask for some advice. 
Um, we also had um, stands. A lot of the stands are set up by families um, who've basically set up a small business and they can't afford the rates, you know, to go to these bigger exhibitions. Yeah. So the us, and it, it was just the amount of comments that we got was just so um, really great. Just like made it worthwhile. So we'll be doing our fourth one again in March next year. Fantastic. Well, you're you're quite possibly one of the busiest women that I think I've I, I know. Having <laughs> you you do so much, but um, let's go back to the very beginning of your journey. Then, so I'm, it's quite a story. Um, obviously, you've got Patrick and Angelo, and how yep. did everything come about? Um, well, Patrick was diagnosed um, actually quite early on. He was both lads were premature. Um, and both lads, I had quite difficult pregnancies. I had preeclampsia and toxemia. Um, I just like were in hospital such a long time for both of them. Uh, Patrick was only two pounds when he was born, so he wow. picked up a lot of stuff. Um, he had septicemia. He had whooping cough. Um, he just seemed to be picking up anything. He had rickets. Um, so he had quite a tough start in life, and that's why I thought. He was quite clingy, um, found it difficult to mix with other children. Yeah. Um, and Angelo, because I had such a difficult pregnancy with Patrick, I had to be in hospital with him for 10 weeks. Um, so that was a long time. And um, then he was born. He was passing all his milestones. And then when he got to sort of 18 months, two years, mm. just lost all his speech, um, didn't want me to touch him, um, just changed little boy altogether. And you can even see in the photographs where photographs that I've taken before 18 months to two years he's really with it you can see he's got the you know contact in his eyes yeah. and then after that very glazed um fixated on patterns on the wallpaper um just eating the same thing over and over again poor sleep pattern so quite difficult for the first two boys really that I had and I was thinking what am I doing wrong yeah. and I was thinking uh, you know I don't dr drink I don't smoke um I exercise and all that sort of thing I was you're looking for somebody to blame, but there isn't anyone to blame. It's just that's how it is. Is that? Do we know why it starts to? Why there's that change? Why, you know? Because I hear this a lot that you you have a baby that's hitting their milestones, and then you do see that change. Is that? Is, have they ever proven why that happens and why that then presents? Um, I, personally, I, I think it's genetic for me because I do know lots of parents that I know. I met one lady at the expo who's got five kids on the autism spectrum. Wow. So she's definitely a busy lady. Yeah. Um, so personally, I do think it's genetic, but I do think there's possibly some environmental factors that can, you know, I would say pro probably Angela would have been as able as Patrick, um, but just the, he sort of had antibiotics, he was allergic to it. And there was a whole load of things that went on um so and he just lost everything all his communication so you you then obviously noticed that there was something different they weren't meeting the milestones what what did you do next um well with patrick um i didn't know he had a diagnosis of asperger's syndrome they diagnosed him and then they didn't tell me wow. and that was the yeah consultant pediatrician diagnosed him um quite early on sort of three and a half years. i mean i've lost you Right, we walk again. Yeah, Patrick, um, yeah, he um, was diagnosed quite early, but we weren't told um, by the consultant pediatrician. So then we found out the accident, yeah, um, and that was because Patrick was having such a difficult time um, going to school, um, being bullied, um, kicking and screaming every time I took him to school in the morning, back to Angelo with me. Um, yeah, so he just had a really, really difficult time. Um, um, Patrick, you'd, you'd had, he'd been diagnosed with Asperger's, but you weren't told. And then you started seeing 
problems with them at school. So mm -hmm. how did you then discover this diagnosis? Um, well, what happened was we were going as a family um, to see a psychologist because of Angelo being diagnosed and because of the anxieties that Patrick had. Um, so we were going as a family and um, apparently the, sorry, not the psychologist, the psychotherapist knew that um, Patrick had Asperger's syndrome. But again, that wasn't shared with us. So the school, because we were having so much difficulties with Patrick and he was kicking and screaming, and then one particular date sort of came to a head where he was just sobbing. He had his head buried in the wall. Um, and what happened was one of the parents had to go and get the um, headmistress to come out of the school. And she just said, oh, what are we doing to this young man? So that's when she said, I'm going to call a meeting. So then all the professionals came along, um, myself, obviously my husband, and the therapist couldn't come. So she sent a report. So the report was handed out at the beginning of the meeting. And that's when it said um, Patrick Kennedy was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome in 1994. And because obviously Angelo had been diagnosed, I'd been reading about autism and obviously it touched on Asperger's syndrome. So I knew a little bit about it. Yeah. And then I just, this like rush of blood go from my my feet and my head and I just I just couldn't concentrate and um I remember the head teacher looking at me saying oh Mrs Kennedy why didn't you tell us and I thought I've just found out now the same time as you and then I couldn't concentrate if you asked me what went on in that meeting I couldn't tell you because I just couldn't concentrate because all I kept thinking was I've got two sons on the autism spectrum and the thing is if you think about it they've never changed they've always been the same it's just that they've been given a diagnosis of autism so, um, yeah, it just took a while for me to sort of get my head drowned. And then because we'd moved from Middlesbrough to Uxbridge because my husband was studying at Brunel University, mm -hmm. I felt quite isolated because I didn't know anybody. Yeah. So I just thought of ringing my mum now and again. And sometimes I wouldn't even say anything. I'd just like cry down the phone. It sort of made me feel better afterwards. And then um, when I started reading books, first couple of books I read was one from uh, Professor Uta Frith. And then I read a book. Um, autism and the facts I think it was called by Dr Simon Baron Cohen this was about 20 years ago and then it was talking about early intervention and how crucial it is for children with autism so then that's when it sort of made me think right I need to get my act together I need to try and find this early intervention yeah. but then when you start reading about it there's all these various different strategies of working and practices of working with children with autism I think I counted at that time, sort of 20 years ago, about 17 or 18 different ways. And I thought, well, how do I know which is going to be the best for Patrick? Yeah. How do I know which is going to be the best way forward for Angelo? And then because two boys were at home and all they were getting was five hours home tuition for three years, I was getting more and more frustrated. Yeah. So uh, that's why I decided to set up a support group. Because when I started looking for a support group in Uxbridge, where I lived, there used to be one, but it folded and it was set up by a mum who had a couple of kids on the spectrum. And basically, she just couldn't cope with looking after them, going to work, um, having the support group, trying to organise speakers or whatever it was that she was trying to do. So it actually folded up. So I thought, right, OK, I think I need to do something about it. And I've met a parent who'd had a child diagnosed with semantic pragmatic language disorder. So we decided to set up a support group. And we were told by the local authority that there were no other families in the area where we lived. And then when we put a little article in the Uxbridge Gazette, I always remember, um, 275 families came out of the woodwork. So we had to get um, uh, the hall from the local church that we used to go to. And then it just grew and grew from then on, really. And that's when we decided um, to set up the school because um, the person that was working with, the teacher that was working with Patrick was very good. And I ended up employing her later on. 
um, uh, at the school and the person that was working with Angelo was feel, feeling really out of her depth because she'd never worked with a child with autism before. Yeah. So basically what happened was, I, I just thought, right, I've got, got to do something about this. So we heard about a school. They were going to knock it down and build 37 flats. It was a school for children with physical disabilities and they were knocking it down because apparently the doorways weren't wide enough for the um, wheelchairs to get through. And for me, thinking about it, I thought, well, why don't they just widen the doorways? Why are they building a new school for them? Yeah. But that's what they would do. So in the end, my husband had just finished um, a degree in economics and management. So he was great for putting a business plan together. Yeah. And we took a plan to the local authority. Um, I think they thought we were mad, but I was I, like totally driven. I just thought there's no, I couldn't see any other way out of, you know, trying to get support for the boys. Because so, I've been visiting lots of different schools. So um, go, let's go back a couple of steps because I know that yeah. the step for the school is a big step. We'll talk. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. so when you were talking about the diagnosis and the school meeting with Patrick, they were obviously in mainstream school. Yeah, they were both. Uh, well, Angelo hadn't started mainstream school. I was waiting for him to start. Um, obviously, um, at the school, he'd gone to the nursery for a little while. Um, and then um, it was the meeting, really. Patrick, I think he'd been there about sort of two or three years. And that's when, uh, obviously, the struggles. We were trying everything that we possibly could. He would be in the reception area um, quite a while. I'd be in the corridor. And then once he went to the classroom, we'd find it difficult. And he'd come on with things like, Mum, there's two eyes watching me on the wall. Mum, uh, there's a big mouth that swallows me when I come into the, the hall. Mum, I don't like the children when they're clapping. Uh, Mum, I don't know what the teachers are saying to me. And then later on, when we unpicked it, the two eyes were the word classroom, the, the letter O's. Okay. And this was because of his anxiety. And those were the two eyes that were looking at him. And um, the ground that swallowed him up was uh, basically the mouth, sorry, that swallowed him up were the two doors going into the hall. Okay. So when we unpicked it, and that was because of his anxieties, because he didn't like the children scraping the chairs on the floor. He didn't like it when, say, some somebody was being acknowledged and they were clapping. So there was all these little things that we unpicked later on that we discovered why it was so difficult for him to go into school. And then obviously it didn't help that, you know, from four to the age of seven, the school didn't know he had Asperger's syndrome. Yeah. So obviously they didn't know what they were dealing with. We all thought it was because he was premature. He had a bit of a tough time, you know, for the first three years of his life. Remember, we thought that's, that's why he was finding it difficult. But obviously if we'd have known at the time when he was four, you might have been able to continue on in mainstream, if you like. Yeah. So what, how did you make the decision to homeschool him? Um, the decision was made for me. Um, what happened was um, the school said they couldn't meet his needs. I then went looking for schools. Um, I didn't quite know what I was looking for. I was trying to look for as close to mainstream as possible because, again, no one had sat down with me and said, this is what is available, this is what autism is, this is what Asperger's is. At that time, you were given no information whatsoever. There was no support group in the area. I must admit, I did contact the National Autistic Society. I didn't get anything back from them for about seven or eight weeks. I did speak to someone on the, um, in the switchboard and said, could you send me a video? Uh, that might be able to help me and then when they sent me the video I always remember I put the video on at home and obviously you've got to appreciate that my son had been just diagnosed Angelo and then Patrick had been diagnosed obviously three years later which and it was all like it was all like going around in my head so when I put the video on it was no disrespect to the child but it was the most severe child that was affected by autism and I couldn't watch it because it just made me think is this what 
I've got ahead of me. You know what I mean? I, yeah. It was just that all too much. And then because I didn't have any family around me or anything. So I just, I got the video out. I remember I put it in the boot of the car because I just thought I can't deal with this at this moment in time. So um, anyway, I dealt with it in my own way and that and I sort of set up the school. So that was the way of dealing with it for me because I thought I need a resolution here. I need a solution for these boys. Yeah. I've been to visit 26 different schools. I went to visit uh, MLD schools. I went to visit SLD schools. I went to visit um, mainstreams that had units attached. And every one of those schools were either, I didn't feel they were the right type of school. I go with my gut instinct. Or they just didn't have any spaces whatsoever. There was waiting lists as long as your arm. There was a school that I really liked in Ealing, and they basically told me, if you don't live in Ealing, don't even bother to um, try and put your child on the waiting list because it's so long, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. So that's when I thought, right, what's what's the options open to me? There isn't anything. Um, so the boys, as I say, were just getting five hours home tuition. And my husband was going out to work during the day. He'd come home. Then I'd go out to work in the evening. Um, and then I'd come home sort of one o'clock, two o'clock, whatever the time was. Then Angelo didn't sleep. So I just felt like I thought there's no way to live for anyone. No, no quality of life. What was the what was the nighttime job you were doing? Um, I was I, what I was doing, I was teaching exercise in a health club, but I also worked for a doctor's answering service. Right. So I used to be on the desk taking calls, but also I used to be on the desk distributing. That was a really stressful job, distributing the emergency calls to the, wow. the GPs and the ambulances and Sometimes there'd be only two on for like the whole of London. It was just so stressful. Yeah. I thought, oh, I could do without this job. <laughs> yeah. So so most people, you know, they've got two, two children who are on the spectrum. They're not getting their needs met. Would, I don't know, I mean, to, to not do what you did, which is go and remortgage your house and set up a school. It's pretty big. Um, it is big. Um, the only support I wanted to say is that if anyone can, if anyone was starting this, the process, the best support that I ever got was Portage. Um, and I know a lot of the Portage services are closing now because of the cuts. But for me, um, there was a lady called Jocelyn. She was my Portage worker. And we became friends afterwards. And she used to watch my journey. And she came along to some of the, the birthday celebrations that we had at Hillingdon Manor School. And she said to me, I always knew there was something different about you. She said, you were just like so focused. And when you said you were going to do something, you just went for it. And it doesn't matter what obstacle was in your way. You just go for it. So, um, yeah, Portage was great for me um, to help me sort of take Angelo to different places. She told me about take photographs of places that he likes to go to. Because Angelo had speech whatsoever. Favorite swing, or we're going to this park, or um, Rupert's coming with us, or we're going to get a drink, or whatever it was. And there was lots of different tips that she gave me to help me with both Patrick and Angelo. Right. Okay. So then you, you, I mean, quite a risk um, refinancing your house and buying that school, and there must have been an awful lot of work to get it ready to have pupils as well. Um, yeah, there was so much work. We didn't buy it; we leased it, uh, right. but we had to. They said to us, they put us through the mill, really, um, when we were trying to, to, you know, to secure the school, if you like. So they said they would give it to us for um, like a lease for 30 years. Um, but we had to raise £627,000 worth of refurbishment to put the school right. So it needed a new roof. It needed toilets. It, ne it needed everything. Because if you think about it, they were going to knock it down. Mm -hmm. So there was everyone sort of went there to strip it bare to what they could get. They don't even like smash the toilets, they'd smash the sinks, um, they'd rip things from the wall. So it needed an awful lot doing to it. And then obviously all the, the surrounding areas, no, no gardening work or anything had been done. So it was just all overgrown. So um, 
I contacted people like the Printers Trust um, who came along to do some work. I went to the probation service who came every Saturday um, to do work for us, but we had to be there to monitor what was going on. Um, I then started contacting companies like British Airways, um, British Airport Authority, Heathrow. They did things like team building exercises where they came in and built us a kitchen or um, painting or, you know, so just like it became a community project. And then families of children who wanted their children to go to the school who were in a very much similar situation to myself, then they start contacting people who had skills. It could have been carpenters, could have been people that were looking because the boiler was needed looking at and all those sort of things. So everyone came together and it was supposed to be a three-year project. And we got the keys in January um, the 5th, which was Patrick's birthday on 1999. And we opened the school in September of the same year. And that was because I was so focused and driven and getting everyone together. Come on, you know, we need to open this school. And I was struggling as well with the boys because trying to open the school, then with the boys. So we set up one of the rooms in a, like a bit of a classroom, if you like, so that while I was speaking to people on the phone or meeting people, that they could go into the classroom and then the um, some friends or uh, would come along and look after them for me, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was a, a bit of a, I was juggling so many balls, I can't even remember, to be honest. Seems to be a, a trait of yours, juggling lots of balls. Um, yeah, it was. So, so 1999, Hillingdon Manor opened, and that's coming up for 20 years next year, isn't it? Which is amazing. It is. Yeah, so, so there's 190 children now that come in from 19 different local authorities, and then three Three years after that, we opened um, a vocational college and one of the gentlemen that I was working with that was supporting me, his son was in a mental health unit and he, his son had been misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and he didn't have schizophrenia, he had Asperger's syndrome and they'd given him medication for schizophrenia so he developed psychotic episodes so his primary condition wasn't Asperger's syndrome anymore. So he was desperate to get his son out of the mental health unit. I went to visit him there, oh my word, what a dreadful place. Um, it's changed now um, because it was um, they were refurbishing it. But it was such an awful place and it was made up of a mixture of different people who had diff- diff- lots of different difficulties. Um, I thought it was so noisy. I just thought, how can people get better in a place like this? Yeah. Um, where we managed to get him out um, and um, we opened the college. So he went to the residential home as well that we opened and uh, he went to the, the college, uh, the vocational college. So um, now there's 45 adults that go to the college and the residential home, there's eight adults. And then since then, we opened a second school, which is uh, called Baston House School in Kent. Yeah. And that now is 90 children. Wow. So what, what is it that makes your schools different? What do they provide that you weren't getting for Patrick and Angelo at the time? Um, well, it's an eclectic approach because I feel that all the children are so diff- different from each other. So it's not one size fit all. We have our own speech and language therapist. We have three. We have our own occupational therapist. We have our own um, educational psychologist. There's various different therapists that work with the children. So we have music therapy, drama therapy. Um, the primary school and the secretary school are separated. So the um, primary school, um, they write their own curriculum. So it's resident, relevant and meaningful, sorry, for um, the children that are working there. Um, The parents are very much involved. Um, What they do once every two weeks is they set up what's called um, the Grange, which is um, like it's turned into almost like a a shopping centre so that the the kids have to apply 
for jobs to, to get to work at the bank or the post office or whatever it is that they've set up. Uh, parents come in and support it. Also teach them um, skills like you might have a, um, a parent that's really great on the guitar. So they work on music with them. So it's it's just a, a great environment for children, small class sizes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And obviously with the therapists are on hand because the one thing that was very difficult is that trying to get speech and language therapy. I remember before setting up the school, um, it took such a long time to get it for Angelo. And then they gave it, um, there were only six sessions and then that was it for the year. So I thought, six sessions, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. So um, at least with the school, they're there, they're, they're ours, we employ them. Uh, they're going to the community. The kids are doing Duke of Edinburgh as well. We've even got a dance teacher that teaches them street dance, where one of our um, groups now that's called um, Autism with Attitude they performed on um, Autumn's Got Talent, which is something else that I do. Yeah. And since then, they've just really grown in confidence. And now they're going to Germany in May and they're going to be representing um, the country, um, the very first SEN dance troupe um, to go to the European Dance Championships in May. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Yes, they're, they are amazing. The, the kids are just like, they're amazing. And Jonathan that works with them, he just goes above and over to um, produce these fantastic numbers and, you know, increase the confidence of the children fantastic so um 20 years of children almost coming through the doors at hillingdon manor and yeah. those children obviously turn into adults is there anyone you don't have to name them but anyone that particularly stands out in your mind that you think that's a success you know quite a few, quite a few really they, um through social media they contact me um some of the adults that have gone through the school um that they've gone or some of them go on to mainstream colleges, some of them move on to the vocational college that we've set up. Um, so now I, I actually bumped into a young man on the tube and he was looking at me and um, I thought, I really, I recognise that lad because it was like a while back since I'd seen him and he came up to me and he said, hello Anna, he said, I used to go to Hillingdon Manor School and then when he started talking, I recognised him straight away and he just said, oh, I just wanted to say hello, I wanted to say thank you, just wanted to let you know what I was doing um, and he was um, working in social care so um, he said, I'm really enjoying my job. And um, he said, do you mind if we have a selfie? So I said, no, not at all. So we had a selfie and he posted it on his Facebook page. So I thought that was really lovely. I've had um, a young man that contacted me when we very first opened the school. He set up his own painting and decorating business. Um, he's married now. Uh, so, you know, all the children are not going to progress on to Like say someone like Angelo, you know, he's always going to need one-to-one -one support. But there are children that have really like really progressed or gone on to college, gone on to university. Uh, one young man went on to work at the back, got a really good job. It all makes it all worthwhile when you hear stories like that. Totally, because I know that, and I guess it depends on each individual child, again, exactly like you say with Angelo yeah. compared to the people you're talking about. But I know that in our community, I hear a lot of parents worried about the future, worried that will will their children ever be able to exist independently um so it's it's quite heartwarming to hear that it makes people believe it is possible because it is possible yeah you need to get it right at the beginning as early as you possibly can like say for example at the expo there was a parent that came along you know now she's like got a mojo together and she's think right i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to make sure and it's just like organizing events and positive events and i know there's a lot of negative stuff in the autism world but our charity, Anna Kennedy Online, is very much about raising positive awareness. 
we know about the doom and gloom. It's just about there is some light at the end of the tunnel. That's why we do events like Autism's Got Talent, where we showcase fantastic talent. That's why we do events like the Autism Hero Awards. To We have 12 different categories and we showcase people that go the extra mile. So it might be a teacher, it might be a teaching assistant, it might be a doctor, it might be a business. Um, you know, it's just about showcasing that there is a lot of good stuff that's going on out there. But my my... If I had to give advice to a parent that child's just been diagnosed sort of three or four years old, it's just like get the support as early as you possibly can. And also, usually you find out that parents who shout the loudest get what they want in the end. And if you don't speak up for your child, who else is going to do it for them? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I've spoken to quite a few people about during this um, process of doing these shows is the the label people sometimes reluctant to get diagnosis because they don't want their child labeled with you know autism or asperger's what mm. what are your thoughts on that it's obviously all down to personal um preference but the thing is sometimes children can get through life without having the label but there are some children that do need the label and the reason being is because they need the support they need the the speech and language, they need the occupational therapy, you know, yeah. they need to, um, might, might need counselling because sometimes what I've, I've seen with parents is that when it's, they're in primary school, because it's, um, the children are sitting in the class the whole time, right? But then once they get to secondary school, then it's like their organisational skills are quite poor with a lot of these children. They find it difficult for moving from class to class, the extra homework, the build-up to the exams, all those sort of things. So sometimes you need to have that diagnosis to get the right type of support so that they can help with secondary school with that. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, okay, so let's let's move on. You've obviously got the schools and the colleges and the residential ones um, as well. And respite. This is one residential home. So it's right. a residential home for eight adults, and it's it's like a stepping stone, if you like, for them to go on to move on to. Um, got one young lady who's moving into her own flat. Another chap's moved into his own flat. And it's to teach them independent living skills. Some of them might take a little bit longer than others. Um, and then respite was set up at the college, and that was um, on a Saturday. Obviously, it's difficult for parents who've got adults that you know, might have slipped the net, so they're sort of age 30, 40, 50 or whatever, and they might be still at home. So um, I've tried to create something on a Saturday where um, there's respite, so it's from half nine till half three. Some come just in the morning, some just come in the afternoon. And basically, it's just to give a little bit of time for the parent where they might want to go shopping or they, they might just want to sit down and watch a film or whatever it is that they want to do. Because do you know what? It's really important to have me time. Yeah. I didn't have me time for like 10 years. I used to do... Uh, tap dancing and all that sort of thing and um, I stopped it because I felt I had to focus on my I, boys all the time and I felt guilty and then I thought I felt like there was something missing out of my life because I wasn't doing anything for myself yeah. um, so then I saw an article in the newspaper said tap for fun I thought that's what I need to do so I went along to the class um, and I've been going ever since so I either do tap dancing on a Thursday or now I do Zumba yeah. and it's my autism free zone and it's almost like it gives me a little bit of energy for the week and it's yeah. just I don't have to think about anything I'm just and it doesn't have to be that you can be something where you just go meet up with some friends have a coffee and I know it's difficult for some parents who have got one parent families but whatever it is that you can grab five minutes ten minutes to have a bath whatever it is a bit of quiet time just try and do it because it it helps you and if you don't do it you can burn out 
and you're the linchpin to the family, if you like. Totally. The moms and dads. And I, th- I think by the very nature of being a family with children or adults with, with difficulties is that the support, so getting a babysitter, you can't get just a bog-standard babysitter. Quite often even family are reluctant to help because they don't know how to handle it. Although they, they, you know, they want to be able to, they're not comfortable with it. So I know a lot of the people that we talk to become very isolated and have absolutely no time for themselves because there isn't anyone who can take those people and give them some time. I know. I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, so that's why my mother-in-law moved as well from uh, Middlesbrough to um, London to try and help us. Uh, but obviously she's elderly now, but she does the best that she possibly can. Um, but it's just, yeah, you, people do rely on families. And you know what? Getting carers is not cheap either. So if you're not getting things like direct payments or um, whatever funding that you can grab your hands on, um, it, they're not cheap because obviously they're specialist people. So you could be looking at something like 15 to 20 pounds an hour. And that's a lot of money in, in some families. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the respite thing is just amazing. Um, that really must give an awful lot back to those families and give those people the energy, exactly what you say, give them the energy to do the best with the week ahead. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I go walking with Angelo. I've been the last sort of four years. I wasn't that keen on walking, to be honest with you, just like walking long distances. Then I started walking with Angelo on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday morning, and I really enjoy it, and he gets something out of it as well. So we go to all these different parks, and they know us now, and we go to the same cafes, and we get our sausage sandwich, and I get my skinny latte. And we walk like three, four miles. We've done sponsored walks, like we've done a 10-mile. And that's a good stress buster as well. Yeah. And also it's a place where, because Angelo makes his little noises, he jumps up and down type of thing. You know, it's a place where it's open space. He can do whatever he wants, you know, within reason, obviously. But it's like he feels a little bit more free. Yeah. He can get my yeah, fantastic. So how did Anna Kennedy Online come about? Um, Anna Kennedy Online came about because parents started writing me. Um, after, obviously, we opened the school and my story went on the BBC and people started to get to know about me. And then social media, um, they started saying, um, oh, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? And so I thought, still getting all those stories from all those years ago, from when I was struggling today and, obviously, in today's Day, people are still struggling. I wanted to set up something where people could ask for advice. I share things on social media, you know, um, might be tips or it could be um, articles that I found or research that I found. Um, then parents started sending me in um, videos of their kids that taught themselves how to play the guitar on YouTube, especially one young man I remember from Hillingdon Manor. Um, he taught himself how to play the guitar and he was writing poetry and he sang. It was amazing. Um, and then um, I, I, I went to a Woman of the Year Award. I, I, I think I, I must have been shortlisted or something. And then I saw Debbie Moore, who was um, the founder of Pineapple. And she was the first woman to get her company into the FTSE 100. Really inspirational lady. Yeah. And um, I saw her and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do something with her. Because um, I was into dance. I was I had an idea of creating a dance video that was um, quite cool and you know not tokenistic. So I went up to her and I, I said, oh, I introduced myself. And then she just said, oh, come and see me in the office. So that's what I did. And then she introduced me to a lady called Maggie from Pineapple Performing Arts. And then she invited me to one, one of their shows at the Mermaid Theatre. And that's when I got the idea of um, Autumn's Got Talent. So I spoke to Maggie. I said, oh, would you help me with the show, you know, with the techie stuff and all the rest of it? Yeah. So that's when um, Autumn's Got Talent was born. So that was like seven years ago. And we're still going strong. 
um, and we are working towards it now in May. So we have the big show in May at the Mermaid Theatre. So um, it's the main show. We have 20 performers from across the country, and now we have performers from overseas. So we have had performers like from America, from Canada, from Croatia, from Sweden. We've even had applicants from like Fiji Islands, Morocco, various different places. And it's become this really well-known show where people travel in um, from all over the country to watch the show. It's now also become a road show the last three years. So we take it to various different towns um, across the UK. I've been to my um, hometown in Middlesbrough. Yeah. We've been to Essex. This year we're going to St. Ives in July. And then in November, we're going to Merseyside. Um, so that's, it's just what I try and do is create opportunities for the young individuals who've got autism yeah. um, and talent. So we've had, we've had an album um, called Building Bridges. We launched that at uh, the Hard Rock Cafe. And we're in the process of the minute working with um, one of our patrons, um, John Paul, who was from a group called Big Brothers, who were big in sort of the 90s, I think yeah, it was. I or, remember them. Yeah, yeah, um, and they have a song called Baby Boy. So we recorded it last year with um, some of our Autumn's Got Talent performers and we're going to be launching it um, during Autumn Awareness Week. So that's exciting. So they're re-releasing Baby Boy, but with our kids singing it with John Paul. Oh, so that's wow. really, really good. Um, so we've got scholarships from starting Autumn's Got Talent. We've got nine scholarships at Pineapple dance studios where they can do singing, performing arts, dancing. And then every year they perform on Autumn's Got Talent to show how they've progressed. Um, yeah, so we, we do whatever we can to raise awareness, really, and acceptance. And, you know, I'm on social media all the time. People think that somebody does my social media, but I do it all myself because it has to be, it has to come from me. You know, it has to be personal. Um, yeah, so I'm always thinking Different ideas always buzzing around in my head. I was going to say, you must, you must go to bed every night absolutely exhausted, but glowing with pride and happiness because you're really making a difference. Um, I wouldn't say I go to bed glowing with pride and happiness. I go you to bed be. tired. <laughs> I go to bed tired because Angelo doesn't sleep very much, so that's like a, 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 a tough thing for me. But um, I go to bed always thinking, um, and I, I'm a bit of a sort of a perfectionist. So say, for example, we had the expo. So I'm, I'm like, I worry before the event to make sure it's going to be okay, you know, and people are going to attend. And it's just like, I just think, I just want things to go well. But I'm lucky that I've got a great team. I'm lucky where I work with Lisa, who's my PA, driver mad. Um, she's sitting opposite me now. Um, yeah, so we work constantly on projects. Then I've got charity champions across the country and I'm building on those as well. And most of my ambassadors and patrons are either related to someone with autism or who are autistic themselves so that's you know, something else you know that I'm doing and they, they they sort of shout out about um the charity in the areas that they live or um do events or um raise awareness or whatever it is that we do yeah and what what about meeting the queen and getting your OBE what oh yeah that's ages ago now that was um I think that was 2012 if I remember correctly yeah. um yeah along to Buckingham Palace with my mum and my mother-in-law because the Iranian by allowed to bring two people right. um then they were separated to go off of the guests and then i went off um with all the other um award recipients and then um, gary barla was there getting the um an obe and who else was there kate winslet she was there as well she got a cbe and we ended up chatting because uh, she was telling me about her golden hat foundation yeah. and i met so many other inspirational people there and then obviously it was a bit nerve-wracking meeting the queen because you you were um you know 
basically told what you had to do. And when the Queen shook your hand, she would push you away. That meant that, you know, your time was up type of thing. But she, you know, she said, oh, I understand you've set up a school for your two sons. How are they getting on? How's the school getting on? You know, she was, and I thought she's got a lot of information to remember. But each person that, you know, because there must have been about 100 people um, receiving various different awards. Um, So it lasted till about one o'clock or two o'clock. And then I went back home and then I um, got changed. And then I started loading the washing machine and then the toilet was blocked. And then I thought, this is such a weird day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And did, did, did they teach you how to curtsy or did you? Um, I already I already knew, really, because like, obviously I had dance in my background. So a lot of them were struggling with the curtsy and they were worried about falling over and all the rest of it. And then they told me, said, oh, let's see your curtsy. So I did it straight away and they said, oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, because you, you used to um, work in dance, didn't you, pre-children? Yeah, um, I used to, I started tap dancing when I was about five, um, and that was because I was tapping my feet under the desk all the time at school, and right. the teacher said to my mum, can you take your daughter dancing? She's driving me mad, she just never keeps her feet still under the desk. <laughs> so the tap dancing class just down the road from the school, so I went along, absolutely loved it. So I did tap dancing, I did um, a bit of acrobatics, um, and I did a little bit of sort of jazz dance, but tap was my favourite. Yeah. Um, and when I was 18, um, I uh, basically started doing disco. <laughs> and then I started doing exercise and disco. So I used to teach like exercise and disco dance classes and I used to teach kids tap dancing. Right. So that was thing. And then we emigrated to Italy. So I taught um, disco and exercise there as well. And then we came back to England and then I met my husband. And then, as I say, uh, when I had Patrick and Angela, I just didn't dance for 10 years. And I, as I say, I felt like something was missing out of my life because I'd always done it since I was about six. Yeah. Um, and then when I started doing it again, I thought, I'm so glad. And I think that's what keeps me going. Yes. My dad keeps me feeling young because, like, you know, you do worry as you're getting older. And I, I, I do worry more and more. Like, it was my 58th birthday yesterday. And for the whole week, I was worrying about it. I was getting really stressed out because I worry about, you know, Angelo's quite profoundly autistic. And I'm thinking, who's going to look after him? Who's going to look out for him? And that's why I just try and um, keep fit, you know, keep as um, healthy as I possibly can. Because I just want to be around, you know, to be able to look out for my sons. That's the bottom line. And keep doing what I'm doing. I don't think I'll ever retire. No, no, no. Well, it's a vocation, really, isn't it? What you're doing more than a job. Yeah, definitely. I'm when I lose the passion to drive, then I know it's time to stop. Yeah. So you've 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 come across quite a few famous people in your life, like Gary Barlow and Kate Winslet, and the people that I've I've seen at the Autism Hero Awards and things like that. So who's the most famous person you've got in your phone? Who's who's the most famous mobile phone number you've got? Oh, I don't know. Who's that then, Lisa? Can you think? Um, <laughs> um, oh, I didn't even think about it like that. Uh, who have I got? Have you got Gary uh, Barlow's number and can I have it? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I haven't got Gary, oh, Bar- Gally, sorry, Gary Barlow's number. Do you know, to be honest, he wasn't that friendly. Oh, <laughs> that's so disappointing. Yeah, I don't know if he was having a bad day, but he just he wasn't that friendly because people were like going up to him and he, he sort of was not talking to them. So I thought, oh, maybe he's having must, a bit of a bad day. It must get tiring, mustn't it? Yeah. Being that famous. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. But I have met a lot of people. I have been lucky to meet people, but it's just I I tap into them to help me raise further awareness and try to suck them into the autism world, if you like. Yes. And a lot of them get sucked into the autism world. And obviously when I did Strictly, that was like huge. That was like, yes. you know, 
it just went everywhere because obviously it was on the BBC um, and I tried to film and take photographs as much as I possibly could so that the families felt like they were going through the experience with me. Yeah. Um, and there were certain things that I shouldn't have been taking pictures of and highlighted, but I did. I thought, what they're going to do? Stop me from seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was amazing, the, the Strictly thing. Do you think that had a big impact on propelling your profile? Um, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I, As I say, every award that I get, I use it to raise further awareness and hopefully... You know, maybe when I, I'm looking for a key to try and get through a door, the door's open for me to get the yeah. the award type of thing. So, yeah, no, I Strictly was huge. I really enjoyed the experience. I danced sort of eight or nine times after the uh, show finished. Mm -hmm. And now um, Robin, sadly, is going to be doing a farewell tour uh, this year. So he's going to be dancing with all his different partners. So he's asked me if I'll dance with him again. Oh, so uh, he's doing a big show in November in the central London to raise money for... Um, charity and then he said I can dance whichever day I've got free when when he's on the tour I can dance with him so that's exciting yeah I get to again <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Good. Um, right one other thing I want to talk to you about is the the bullying campaign that you do we've not touched yeah. on that so where did that come from um anti-bullying came from again parents writing to me about their children being bullied in school one particular case I think triggered give us a break for me was a parent wrote to me about her son that was um, kicked in the head in the playground, 11 years old, went into a coma for a week. And then after that, um, he was so anxious and stressed. I remember her telling me um, he was sleeping in bed with her because of these anxieties. And I just thought, right, I need to do something about it. Um, I spoke to James Hobley, who's one of our patrons of the charity. He was on Britain's Got Talent. And he got through to the finals. He again was bullied. And I looked on the NSPCC website at that time quite a few years ago, and they had no information whatsoever about autism. So I contacted them because Esther Ranson is one of our patrons of our school. So I said, how about we do something together and we put something on the website and we focus on James because James is like highlighted on Britain's Got Talent. So everyone's going to know him yeah. type of thing. So that's what we did. So we um, filmed James. He talked about what it was like for him being bullied. Um, he used to get paint thrown at him and called diff various different names. And uh, I'm pleased to say now he is an amazing ballet dancer. He got in the Royal School of Ballet. He's now wow. dancing all over the world. He's just like become such a, a handsome young man and fantastic ballet dancer. So that's a real success story. Yeah. Uh, but what we did was we did a campaign during Anti-Bullying Week, um, put it on the website. And then the NSPCC messaged me a week after and said that they're at that particular time, I can't remember which year it was now, probably was like 2012, 2013, something like that. They'd never had so many hits on the website of people looking for information about autism. So that was well worth doing. So after that, then I worked with the Anti-Bullying Alliance um, and we did something together. And then we obviously created Give Us A Break and um, we've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Now I saw, was it last week, I saw you commenting on the... Thing that had happened with the boy with the high-vis vest yes um what happened was i actually know the mom and um she um put obviously was so distressed about seeing her son in the playground being highlighted that you know this boy with a high-vis vest um has got autism and i just thought what century are we in this is yeah. just like cruel it's um like I just so that's why I just thought right I'm just going to write something about it you know we need to move on I thought we'd moved on from that sort of mentality 
Yes, yeah, I did too. But um, I think, you know, that it, it's that lack of understanding, isn't it, that causes bullying. It's anything that's different that, that people just choose to pick on. Um, but if you think about the awareness and knowledge you had when you had Patrick and Angelo to where we are now, it's yeah. so much better. It's not where it needs to be, but it's so no, much no. better. You know what, it depends where you live as well. It's because you still, I, you know, we're doing something on autism and culture now as well. And I spoke in the temple with Tally on um, Sunday morning and there's still um, people are hiding their sons and daughters away. You know, they don't want people to know that they've got autism. I speak to parents where um, in different countries that, you know, it's um, they try and um, do exorcism or whatever it is on the child because, you know, they feel it's just like, you know what? I still hear some real horror stories. So we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, but that's why we have to keep shouting out about raising awareness about autism. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just so nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, well, that's something that we're trying to raise awareness now um, and we're working on for Autism Awareness Week is autism and culture. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and autism is, is so much more prevalent now. Why is that, in your opinion? Is it, is it just because awareness is great? I just think like, because of people like you and I, like shouting out, um, I think it's, you know, better awareness, like programs like The Word that have been on the BBC, that's been huge. Yeah. Whether you like it, whether you hate it, it still gets people talking. That's the way I look at it. So um, you're never going to please everybody. You know, there's always backlash on Twitter from whoever it is. But the thing is, for me, if it's going to raise awareness about autism and people get talking about it, it's worth doing. So um, to, to kind of sum up, let's let's have your kind of main tips for, well, you've given me some on, on the, the facing diagnosis. Um, mm -hmm. Give me some on education. Like how, how do you as a parent know whether that child's in the right setting and what things should, should be in place for them? I know that's a very general question because it's going to depend on each individual, but anything because that you can offer. The thing is you've got to arm yourself with information, get to know the system. And if you find it difficult, because it it's almost like you've got to learn a different language, isn't it, once you've got a child with autism yeah. and the system that you've got to go through and the system that you have to navigate. It's almost like, how we, can we make their life more difficult? You know, let's put this system in place. So what you've got to do is try and learn as much as you possibly can before you, and before you go to a meeting write things down because you tend to forget because you get so emotional. I know that when I go to talk about Angelo, I'm not the same as when I'm speaking on someone's behalf. Yeah. And, and the reason is you, you're so emotional, you're so emotionally attached to your son. So write things down before you go in there and take somebody with you who knows the system, who knows how to navigate it. Um, you know, it could be a support, somebody from a support group or somebody that you know who's been through the system. That's why I'm creating charity champions as well. So they've been through it. They know, you know, they know how to navigate the system. Don't believe everything that the local authority tell you either. Um, you know, there's a lot of cuts going on around there. And that's would be my thing is just like go in there with, you know what you want and don't back down. And as I say, if parents shout the loudest, they'll get what they want in the end. So if you want your son or daughter to go to a specific school, just keep fighting till they till they get there and help someone to make sure that they do get to that specific school. Yeah. You can you can do it. It is overwhelming. The whole system is overwhelming. But you just need to think, right, if I can't do it myself, I need to take somebody with me who knows the system, who knows how to navigate and knows how that I'm not going to get the wool pulled over my eyes, if you like. Okay. And what's what's your goals, dreams and ambitions for the next few years? What's the next big thing? I'd like to set up a business that's 
um, basically employs so many people on the autumn spectrum. I'd like to see Autumn's Got Talent go to Wembley or the O2, nice. um, but alongside mainstream artists just to show that they're as good as they are. Um, yeah, things like that. And obviously keep us fit and healthy as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And, and my, last, my last question is, if you um, got a desert island and it's a brand new society and no laws exist and you have to create three new laws for your world as you would like to see it, what would they be? Oh, that's really hard. Yes. Um, three laws that I would like to see. I'd like to see um, the system not to be so hard for parents to get through. You know, it should be... Let me see. Let me, that's not coming out right the way I want to say it. Yeah, it should be as easy as... A, yeah, what I want to say is, you know, like, if you haven't got a child with a disability, you're looking for a school. It's like you look for a school and that's it. But when you've got a child with a disability, you have to look at so many different schools. The process is too hard. So the law would be, it doesn't matter whether your child's got a disability or not. The process should be just as easy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. So a, a yeah. simple system for all. Yeah. Yeah. For so it doesn't matter. It's just, why should it be more complicated? Why should all these reports cost like eight thousand, eight hundred to a thousand pounds for each, you know, speech and language therapy? It, they should be just there. Yeah. It's like why parents have to pay? It's hard enough as it is, you know. So that that now that that for me that would be like if we could if I could do that I would do that. Um, to, again for bullying, mm -hmm. uh, they need to be stronger on this sort of thing. There's just you know this when you watch the news all the time. Like recently, I've just seen something about throwing acid at people's faces on April the third or something. It's just like why are people so nasty to each other? It's just like why can't we just all live together? and without all this bullying and jealousy and whatever that goes on. So I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but it's just like every time you watch the news, it's just filled with like nastiness and like people have been stabbed or it's like, why can't people just like work together? So only nice, cooperative, lovely people will get on your island. Not people. Yeah. Who, yeah. That's yeah fair people who are nasty have got, um, you know, it's just like some people are just, take enjoyment out of it don't they it's just like no thank you yeah. and everyone should learn how to dance that's my third one excellent that feel good factor yeah <laughs> it's important yeah it fantastic. is what i feel fantastic after i've danced it's just like you've got all those endorphins going through your body i think everyone should learn how to dance because it's like feel good factor great that's brilliant. Well, thank you very, very much for taking the time today to talk to us. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And we do have an Anna Kennedy online charity pendant. So if anyone wants to buy that, then we donate to the Anna Kennedy charity. So please go check that out on the website. Um, thank you. But it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very, very much. And I wish you all the best of luck with the billions of projects you have ahead of you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you all the luck in the world as well. Thank you. So that was Anna Kennedy and I chatting. Um, I found it fascinating. I just think she's got so much energy. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think she's great. I, I've, I've met her a couple of times and obviously we met her at that function in Edinburgh a few That's years right. ago. Um, you just can't not listen to her. There's yeah. always something new that you can find from her. Definitely. Absolutely. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, 
And coming up next week, we are chatting to Claire from Tom Tags. So or All Kid Ideas is their website, but um, they do Tom Tags, which are visual aids, really, to help um, children plan what they need to do. So maybe a little. some people use them as a tag on the school bag, which instructs them what they maybe need to put in their school bag or how to get ready in the morning. Um, but they're customizable and it's it's just a great story her story from you know an idea actually physically cutting things out and doing stuff to help her own son to creating a business from it so that's one to look forward to next week anything yeah, else well just that to remind the vic's that they can get a discount from orchid ideas on the tom tags yeah and also if you're listening to this on one of our other pages or groups and you want to listen to the full version, then you really want to get yourself over and subscribe and get into the VIC group because it is getting bigger, it's getting more exciting and it's just a great place to be, especially if you're buying Chewy Gems anyway, then why not? Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. Wonderful, right. Have a good week, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. -bye. You know what?